Good morning. Let's do a little exercise this morning, all right? So I'm going to uh, tell you five things that happened to me this past, I don't know, a week or so, t- 10 days. And I'll, go, I'll rip through them pretty quick, but you see if you can find a pattern. Cool? Say yes. Okay. All right, so first thing, I, um, I, about a week ago, my wife was gone late to a meeting, and I had a hankering for a meal that I used to eat as a kid and I haven't had for like decades, tuna fish casserole. And some of you are like, huh? Others of you are like, oh yeah. So uh, I, I was like, I want this really bad. And I thought, I can make this. I can, you know, I don't usually do the cooking because my wife's an amazing cook. Um, but I'm like, I can do this. So I just need a plan. So I got on the internet, found best looking recipe I could find for tuna fish casserole, followed the directions, and oh, it was good. Okay, next thing. I needed to go visit somebody in the hospital this past week, and I wasn't sure how to get to the hospital. I needed directions to get there. So I went on the internet, you know, my mobile phone, and got directions, followed the directions, bam, got to the hospital, no problem. Third story. Been talking with a guy this week or last week or so, about um, he wants to grow as a disciple. We've been talking about a growth discipleship plan, discipleship growth plan. Fourth, fourth story, I got a phone call this week from, a co- or this past week from a company that said, hey, your front yard looks good, but your backyard really needs some help. <laughs> we'll sell you our lawn fertilization plan and your backyard can look as good as your front yard. Oh yeah. And then the last thing is, you know, I've been teaching our staff a, uh, the method I use to write sermons, a sermon preparation plan, and so just training them in how to, how to do that. So five quick stories. Did you see what they all had in common? Just shout out. Oh, you didn't. So, so let me help you see that. The recipe was a food preparation plan. The map is a road navigational plan. Discipleship growth plan, lawn fertilization plan, staff training sermon preparation plan. Now, I know some of you are like, yes, I, I'm a planner. I love, he's gonna talk about planning today. Man, you guys plan everything to the nth degree. And then there's the other side of people, other spectrum of people who think, well, it is, plan is a four-letter word, but you mean something differently. Because and you try to avoid planning like it's a disease. I just don't want to be anywhere near it. And it's so funny when I'm with people and uh, maybe the, the wife is a planner and the husband's not, and it's just like kind of funny. Or and a, a team of people when one of them's a planner and one of them's not. Some of you just like, I, do I have to sit through a whole sermon on planning? Yes, you do. <laughs> because the Bible says the plans of the diligent, I'll put this up for you, Lead to profit. And I liked how the ESV uses the word abundance because it's not just about, you know, financial profit. It's bigger than that. The plans of the diligent. The Bible is a planning book. There's plans throughout the Bible. And there's this wisdom that calls us. And if you ignore that, just as surely as haste leads to poverty, not just poverty financially, but poverty of spirit. I mean, we all follow plans. Even those of you who don't like planning, you plan all the time and you follow plans all the time, even if you don't like it. I mean, um, those of you who are married, 
I doubt very much if one day you were just wandering around and you saw a random person, you reached in your pocket and you said, hey, look, I've got a diamond ring. You want to get married? You know, no, you, you planned out that engagement proposal. You planned out the wedding. Or if you own a house, I doubt very much if you were driving randomly through some neighborhood and kind of drove up to a house, knocked on the door and said, here's $250,000. Can I buy your house? And they said, yes. And they sold it. And you're now living in their you bought the house from them, or 200000 or three, whatever, 300, whatever. Um, if you built a house, I doubt very much if you went, found an empty lot, dug a hole, threw some cement in there, put some, some wood together, and all of a sudden you have a house. No, we, do, we go do plans all the time. And do you think the Buckeyes had a plan to beat? Did you think Rutgers had a plan? If you watch the game, man, their plan didn't work, <laughs> but they were following a plan. We... We, we actually are involved in planning all the time. In fact, the things that are the most important call for the biggest plans, the most worthy plans, the greatest plans. And so we have this call on our life to be more and more like Jesus. Do you think we have a plan? Is there a plan in the Bible for how to become more and more like Christ? We think there is, and so we've seen in the life of Jesus how he, as he's teaching people about the kingdom of God, he, he invites people into discipleship. And we, we say to Christians, now that you're a Christian, you need to discover discipleship. And we watch Jesus as he taught the word, and we say to people, devote yourself. This is a discipleship plan, discipleship process. Devote yourself to the word of God. Deepen your roots by getting in a group of some kind, a life group or a men's group or a women's group, community. Do ministries of lifestyle. These are things we see Jesus doing. Disciple others to a dig. Develop understanding through classes. This is something we're focusing on this Sunday is in your bulletin. You can see multiple classes that we are inviting you to check them out. This is all part of a discipleship process, a discipleship plan, because nobody accidentally becomes like Christ. We saw in the scriptures that, that Jesus, and this is, I, we call these the core Christ-like characteristics. There's six of them, six of these core Christ-like characteristics. That's what the CCC is going to stand for later on in the, in the slides. And we see Jesus lived his life connected to God through the word and prayer. So we want to do that. That's our plan. We want to develop a heart of worship because we see that in the life of Jesus. We see Jesus relating to other-centered love. So do we have a plan for how we could be relating to others? We see Jesus loving people intentionally and bringing them the good news. Do you have a plan? Is there a plan to help people come to Christ? How about being a spirit-led servant? Jesus, that's, that's the way Jesus lived his life, and this trustworthy steward of God's resources. This is how we see Jesus living, so we want to live like that, do you have a plan for each one of these? And uh, we do. I wonder if some of you or any of you, I know some of you are, I wonder how many of you either don't realize that we have a plan or you're not following that plan. But remember, nobody becomes like Christ accidentally. You don't stumble into Christ-likeness. You need a plan. So real, real quickly, our plan for living connected to God through the word and prayer like Jesus did is we invite you every day to read the word of God. Meditate on a verse or two. 
Memorize over the course of a week one verse. Pray that scripture. So it's called our daily devotions. It's a plan to help you live connected to God through the word and prayer. We, we challenge you, we invite you all the time to step into this plan of daily devotions. Again, you can download them, get them on our app, get them on our website. They're everywhere. Heart of worship, what's our plan for that? Well, we invite you, come every Sunday and worship with each other. Worship God together. And during the week, practice the presence of God. It's a plan to make you attentive for, to, to what God's doing. Relating with other-centered love. What's our plan for that? We, we say practice other-centered loving. We invite you into a, a group, a life group, or some kind of community group where you're doing life together. Loving people. <laughs> loving messy people. It's a plan. What's, what's our plan for intentional evangelism? We call it the five Bs. You've heard of them. Build, bring, belong, believe, become. It, that's our plan because this is really important. What's our plan for being a spirit-led servant? Last week we talked about, let the Holy Spirit lead you to find your role in the body of Christ to serve because that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. But not just find your role in the body of Christ. Learn to live led by the Spirit into spontaneous serving. And actually this kind of living kind of spills over into the T, the trustworthy steward, but it only covers the finding your gifts and, and being led by the Spirit to serve others. What about the other part of trustworthy steward? You have a plan for the financial part of your being a trustworthy steward. God's given you resources. God's given you money. This is what we've been talking about, the inventor of trust. God's given you money. What are you doing with it? And here's what I've discovered. It's so funny. People have all kinds of plans for their children, their family, their spouse, their, their, their life situation, but very few people have a plan. This is, this is stunning to me. I've, I've read this again and again and again, stat after stat, <clears throat> that few people have a financial plan, a plan to be a trustworthy steward of God's money. Now, you know, I understand if you're not a Christian, you don't have to have a financial plan. I don't think it's wise but you don't have to. But if you're a, a, a follower of Jesus, your money doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. What's your plan to be a trustworthy steward? And I get sometimes when I talk like this, people are like, well, you know, I don't know. It just, it just doesn't sound very spiritual. I like this, this idea of being led by the Spirit. And there's a place for you to be led by the Spirit with your money. But what's your structured plan? What, what are you following? If you want to hear Jesus say to you at the end of your life, we just talked about Jesus coming. When he comes and when you see him face to face, you want him to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? What's your plan for that happening? And again, I hear people say, well, I don't just, it doesn't feel very spiritual to me to plan. Well, let me open your eyes to the fact that God is a planner, and since he's the one that lives, that, that sent Christ to model for us, and in the words of the scripture, we see God planning, it's like, the, it's not unspiritual to plan, it's one of the most spiritual things you can do, and all the planners said, amen, all those who don't like plans are like, oh, wow, really? So let me, let me talk to you about the importance of this, this idea of planning by just casting a little bit of vision 
you know, the Bible says that the plans of the Lord, there's, there's actually a ton of verses in the Bible about God planning, the, the plans of the Lord. We saw one of the best ones when we were preaching through the book of Ephesians. And let me bring you back all the way through the beginning of that book. In Ephesians chapter one, verse 11, said, Paul says that in him, that's Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of God, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And we talked about that, how God's chosen us. And in verse four, he literally says, we were chosen before the creation of the world. So you can write this down. You know, this idea of being chosen before the creation of the world according to his plan, we could just write down in our notes that God's plan for our salvation. Aren't you glad that, that God has a plan for your salvation? It's not a random thing, and you don't really know. Can I be saved or not? By the way, there are churches that teach you you really won't know until you get to judgment day whether or not you are saved. That's not a biblical truth. God's plan for our salvation started before creation, and you can know it. There's no mystery here. God's made his plan crystal clear, and it's all about Jesus. <laughs> Amen? Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned, Paul says in Galatians 1.4, to save us, to rescue us. There's no mystery about how you get saved. It's by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, not just Jesus the teacher, but Jesus' death on the cross for your sins. That's God's plan of salvation. But it's not just a salvation plan that Jesus came to live. Do you know that Jesus lived his very life on earth according to God's plan? And this adventure of trust that we're inviting you into, that we see in the life of Jesus and, and what he teaches, it's all about us trusting and learning to trust God and plan. God's a planner. He sent Jesus according to his plan. Jesus lived a strategic life. I, I like to tell people every once in a while who who like to think of Jesus as like a wandering Jew. I said, no, that's a plant. <laughs> um, Jesus didn't just wander around and just like, oh, hey, here's a nice thing to do to this person. He, Jesus followed a plan. It was a, str a strategic plan that he followed. And once you begin to see the strategic, strategicness, the strategery of Jesus, like, oh, man, it's all over the place. We'll talk about it in a second. And God, who invites us to become more like Jesus, knows that one of our biggest problems is this idea of trusting God, trusting God's plan. So God sends Jesus to show us how to live a life of trusting God. And God's plan to teach us how to trust. Remember, can anybody fill in this blank? We've said this several times throughout the series. God's plan for teaching us how to trust is actually to entrust us. <laughs> like give us money, give us ability. Give us life and breath to entrust to us because we've said that God's the trustworthy owner. He owns everything and he entrusts to us his stewards to be trustworthy stewards of his resources. And God 
calls us to plan. Don't, don't play pinball with the resources that God's called you to. Don't just kind of live your life bouncing around. No, God's a planner. Jesus was a planner, and he invites us. You know, what's the verse we saw? The plans of the diligent lead to abundance, as surely as haste leads to poverty. So we're going to look at a number of different verses today to expand on that verse. That's, our, that's kind of our launching verse from Proverbs 21.5, but we're going to look at multiple verses in order to try to distill some biblical wisdom that calls for wise planning. And in this church, we, we talk about being a Jesus church. We follow Jesus. We're always asking, what does Jesus have to say about this? We're always asking, how did Jesus live his life? As a Jesus church, we're constantly looking to Jesus, and he is our model of planning. Let me, let me really quickly show you a couple examples. Jesus choosing the 12 disciples. Do you think that Jesus just randomly chose those 12? I mean, there's lots of people he could have chosen. Some people wonder, what was Jesus thinking when he chose some of those guys? Oh, he was thinking something very clearly, just like he was when he chose you. Have you ever wondered, why did Jesus choose me? Oh, he had a reason. He has a plan. And he's working out his plan in your life. Jesus chose those 12 disciples. Let me just show you real quickly. Mark chapter three says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Don't think of this as some he likes and some he doesn't. These are people that fit the plan that he has as for the 12 disciples. And they came to him. He appointed 12. This is all this planning language that they might, here's the plan, that they might be with him. Stop right there. That's Jesus's plan to be with him. If you can learn to be with Jesus, to be attentive to Jesus, to learn Jesus, not learn about Jesus, but as you be with him, learn him, you will be on your way to discipleship because that's his plan. But not just to be with him, but that he might send them out. So his plan is to call them, to be with them, to teach them, to model for them, and then to send them. And you're like, well, how did he decide which ones to use? Well, Luke tells us the same story that Mark did. He adds this. Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. He's planning, seeking the Father, and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he tells us the same story that Mark did. He called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. But it's not just the 12. Luke chapter 10 says that Jesus chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns. Have you ever noticed this? That he planned to visit. Once you see it, it's just all over the place. Jesus choosing the 12. Jesus being strategic about training the 12. Think about Jesus' death on the cross. Do you think that Jesus just happened to be in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover? Or was he following a plan that the Father had given him from before the foundation of the world? No, Jesus didn't stumble into Jerusalem. Oh, I'm here for Passover. He set his face, the Bible says, towards Jerusalem. 
I am going to Jerusalem. And he didn't have a car, so he couldn't just, just drive there one day. So he, he's walking from Galilee to Jerusalem. He's following a plan, a timed out plan to be in Jerusalem for the night of the Passover where he could institute the Lord's Supper. We're gonna celebrate today. It's a plan that Jesus strategically and intentionally followed. And as that night unrolled, he began to explain to his disciples the plan more and more and how it fulfilled all the prophecies. <laughs> Do you think that Jesus just happened to fulfill all the prophecies about him, about Messiah in the Old Testament? No, no, no. He is a strategic, intentional plan. I see a plan is just a pathway to get us where we want to be. For Jesus, his whole life was leading to the cross. His whole life was a pathway, a plan that would ultimately lead to the cross. But he also knew that the plan was not just for him to die, but to be resurrected. He trusted in the plan I want, you, I want you to see this. Those of you who had this romantic idea that Jesus just kind of wandered around, and that's what it means to be spirit-led, is just kind of wander around. No, there's a place for saying, God, what do you want to do today? I just want to follow, your, follow your, your plan today. There's also a plan to be spirit-led in planning. <laughs> you know, sometimes I hear stories about you know, preachers who just decide what to preach when they get up on Sunday morning. And people love it when a preacher goes, you know what? I'm not going to preach what I planned this morning. I'm going to be led by the Spirit. And I want to ask, what were you doing all week? Does the Spirit not lead Monday through Saturday? <laughs> you know, and it just sounds so spiritual. Uh, this morning, I'm going to throw out my sermon, and I'm just going to be led by the Spirit. Translated for most people, you didn't take time to work on your sermon, and you're a good talker and you're just gonna just kind of talk now and call it being led by the Spirit. But you're so good with moving crowds and you're so charismatic and you're such a great speaker. Nobody can tell whether you're being led by the Spirit all week or whether you're actually being led by the Spirit that morning. How about we do both and? <laughs> and if we recognize that God is a planner and then as we work out the plan, you're listening to the Holy Spirit for any adjustments he wants to make. Amen? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a, it's, it's just a pathway to get us where we want. So here's our pathway to become more like Christ. When we talk about having a plan for each one of these, we're back now. What's, what's your financial plan? Or let me use a bad word for some of you. It's not a four-letter word, but for some of you, it feels like one. What do we call a financial plan? It's a budget. Oh, man, are we going to talk about budgets in church? Well, yes and no. Uh, I, I'm not a budgeting guru, and uh, the Bible doesn't walk us through all the different steps of budgeting, but it does offer us a, a, a big-picture financial plan. But I want to challenge you to the, to the point that every follower of Jesus ought to have a budget which is a financial plan. Why? Because of this line right here. It's a plan for God's money. As a disciple of Jesus, 
you're not free to say, I want to have a plan for everything else, but my money is for me to do what I want. No, your money is a discipleship issue. And that's why Jesus spoke about money more than any other topic. Now, listen very carefully. I did not say Jesus taught about money more, and some people do. Some preachers say, Jesus taught about money more than any other subject. That's not true. He taught about the kingdom of God more, and discipleship more than any other subject. But as he's talking about the kingdom of God and talking about discipleship, he talked about money. He spoke about money using it as illustrations, throwing in pithy little phrases and, and, and used that as an example to teach because people care about money. They did then and they do not. And that's why the Bible is loaded with verses about money. You, maybe you've seen this stat before. There's 225 verses in the Bible about prayer, 300 about faith, 700 about love. You know how many there is about money and possessions? It's, it's, it's not even close if you add these three up. It's 2350. A guy named Howard Dayton actually counted those. And uh, some of you have heard this guy's name. And, and so when Jesus talks about money, he's not being unique. He's fitting in with the rest of Scripture. And he spoke about it again and again. Let me just give you a couple real quick examples. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Powerful statement. In Luke chapter 12, he records Jesus saying, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Again, Matthew chapter six, you cannot serve both God and money. But maybe the most interesting thing Jesus said about money is in Luke 14, 28. Maybe you want to turn there. Luke chapter 14, Luke records Jesus saying this story. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. This is Jesus speaking. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost and see if you have enough money to complete it? Don't you love the practicality of Jesus? I mean, using this illustration, you know, by the way, Jesus was, the, the Greek word for what Jesus did for a living before he became a rabbi or before he, he, he walked around teaching and preaching was the word tecton. It's like a contractor. People like to say Jesus was a carpenter. He may have been. He also may have been a stonemason because when I take people to Israel, you can see there's stone everywhere. Everything is built by stone. Um, so maybe he was a carpenter, maybe he was a stonemason, maybe he did Beth, both. Tecton means contractor. Jesus was a blue-collar contractor, and so when he talks about, hey, when you get ready to build a tower, he's right in his wheelhouse for 30 years. He's been living as a contractor. He knows, hey, wisdom is, don't you sit down and see if you have enough money to complete it? Don't you write out a budget before you launch into some plan? Because for if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will go, dude, or in the Greek, oh man, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish, you fool. See the practicality of Jesus? Now, let me, let me point out something that I've never seen anybody point out before, and I don't know why. And I actually had a couple other people help me do research into 
Christian financial books and Christian financial planning to see if anybody else is gonna, has pointed out what's happening in this text. It starts off with this word suppose. If you've got the ESV, your, your, your translation says, for one of, if one of you or for who of you who wants to build. So the, the word suppose here, it translates a, 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 a connecting word, the, the word F-O-R. And so it connects what came before. Well, what's before verse 28? Everybody shout out. What is it? It's verse 27, really good. So let me put it up here. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Next word. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Wait a minute. Jesus, this is about discipleship? Yes. I don't know why nobody else points that out. Jesus' great illustration about budgeting, about sitting down and estimating how much money you have, how much it's going to cost, that whole exercise, he says it as an illustration about discipleship. Now, the point here is not money. The point here is not planning about money. The point is not budgeting. The point is discipleship and planning ahead and counting the cost. Am I willing to follow this Jesus in discipleship or is this just a cool thing to do? In other words, will I count the cost? That's the point that Jesus is making. Before you say, oh yeah, I wanna be a disciple, count the cost. Like somebody who's about to build a tower, you're gonna build a life. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's actually inappropriate to, to just lift this verse out and use it to talk about budgeting and ignore the context, which is about discipleship. But the fact that Jesus used this illustration and the fact that it came right out of his life as a contractor, we, we want to stop and go, let's pay attention to that. It's, it's one of many verses where Jesus or another person in the Bible has biblical wisdom that we can learn from. God's word provides the wisdom we need to plan financially. Back to our verse for the day. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. So I want to leave you with, in the next couple of minutes, a big picture financial plan that just you, you see by, by looking at the biblical wisdom of Scripture. You know, uh, the, the idea of writing a budget, we talked about earlier. If you're, if you're in one of our life groups or you picked up one of these Adventure of Trust, there's great information in here we provided for you. Our team has provided for you in writing a budget. So I'm not gonna walk you through how to write a budget. It's, it's in here and there's an appendix in the back that's just fantastic tools to help you get some traction here. But what I wanna do is look at the biblical wisdom that I see in the, in the scripture and pull some verses together to, to kind of do an overall biblical financial plan to help you be a trustworthy steward of God's money. Amen? And I'm actually gonna launch with Jesus's illustration when he says, won't you first sit down and estimate to see if you have enough money. See how much money you have. See where it's going. So first thing you can write down is see, you know, do like a, do like a money audit. How much do you have? See where it's going. <laughs> um, this is so funny to me. This is a very powerful step to stop and look at your money. 
to see if you have enough, to see where it's going, to, to actually do a money audit, which means to write down um, all the ways that you're spending money and that where you're planning on. This is part of what it means to write a budget. But, you know, when I read, like, books from Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University, which we highly recommend, and, and other kinds of books, they, they talk about this kind of concept uh, in a diff- little bit different language. But it's, it's uh, they, for instance, they'll say, keep all of your receipts for a month. And then they'll go into the detail of, you know, make sure it's, you're keeping the receipts from your credit card, cash receipts, uh, Apple Pay receipts, Venmo, ATM cash withdrawal receipts. Easy to miss that one. But try to get an accurate handle on how much money you're taking out, how much money you're spending, see where it's going, and just write that down. I've done this, and everybody I've talked to who's done this all say the same thing. I had no idea how much money I was spending on fill in the blank. Now, for me, it's never, I had no idea how much money I was spending on coffee because I know how much money I spend on coffee. And some of you can guess, zero. (laughs) But that's actually one of the funniest ones is that people are like, well, yeah, I think I probably spend, I don't know, 15, 20 bucks on coffee, maybe 30 bucks a month. Then they keep the receipts and they're like, dude, I spent $150 on lattes this past month or, or going out to eat fast food or restaurants or clothes. You do not have any idea how much you spend on a given thing until you actually write it down. Like you did if you were following the Adventure of Trust plan from last week where you did a time audit. Same idea. I had no idea I spent that much time working on this or watching television or being on the internet or whatever it is if you did your time audit. It's so helpful. I do hope you understand this is to help you because I hear people with the saddest stories all the time who say, I don't have enough money or our money, our finances are a wreck and they're spending money they don't have. They're buying things they don't need. They're buying on impulse. They're, they're just, they're not keeping track of how much they're spending and, and then they, just, they, they run out of money. They're, and they're like, I just, I don't know what, I guess I just need to make more money. I need to, you know, figure out a way to get more money. And so then they try these get rich schemes that the Bible says, don't fall for that. And they're all over the place. And, you know, there's just kind of this random approach to money and to finances. And there's no reason for your life to be racked with anxiety and confusion and with finances. And then it leaks into the family and then you end up fighting. There's a reason why the number one thing people fight about in their family is money. So you can avoid all that by following a plan. So this is to help you. So start off by seeing where the money is going. More biblical wisdom, Proverbs 21.20. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. This is the number one step that everybody who is healthy financially has followed. It's also the number one step that those people who are all about getting rich, and I hope you're not. Hope you're not. I hope your goal is not to get rich. But those people that it is, this is their plan. They follow. This is the step they follow. Number two, spend less than you make. Spend less than you earn. <laughs> it, it's, it's just actually really that simple. Now, if you don't know how much you're spending, 
you're never going to be able to do number two. But once you do number two and, and number one, and you, you begin to, to really pay attention to this, things start changing. In fact, they, they change so much that I've watched something happen in people's lives. They get excited about, man, I didn't, I'm, I'm starting to save money because I had no idea where I was spending it. And this idea of spending less than I want, for the first time in my life, I've got a little discretionary income. And they started getting focused on their money. It happens all the time. So my third step is to remind us what Jesus said. You can't serve God and money. So let's remember, we're not here to get money. We're not here to, to get rich. We're here to serve God, not money. Amen? Come on. And I just watched people who were a mess financially get so excited about these first two steps, so excited about writing a budget and getting a hand on it, that they begin to focus in on that and that becomes their life. And it's subtle. You started down the right path, but you got off track and you got lured in by the temptation of money. So the, the, the antidote is not ignore money. The antidote is remember where money fits in the process. You serve God, not money. It's God's money. These things help us keep grounded so we're serving God, not money, that we become stewards, not owners. And maybe the best way to live this out is step number four, start returning God's tithe, the tithe that belongs to him. One of the verses I can use is Malachi 3.10. Actually, I, I'm gonna talk more about this next week, so I'll just skip over that for now. But this is, this is a very important part of the plan. Number five, based upon the same proverb we looked at before, we looked at the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Now let's look at the wise man saves for the future. There it is. Number five, save. And I'm recommending that you save every time you get paid. In fact, even better, make it automatic. Ask your, your accountant or the person that, that does finances at your company or your bank to, to automatically take money out of your account so that you don't have to wrestle with, well, I don't have enough to save this, this, year, this week or this paycheck. And um, if you build that into the processes and start saving automatically, you, you'll start finding, wow, I can save a lot more money than I thought I could. Where does that wisdom come from? The Bible. <laughs> it's, it doesn't come from Dave Ramsey. It doesn't come from Warren Buffett. It doesn't come from your favorite financial guru. It comes from the Bible. Next thing, Proverbs 22, 7. The borrower is slave to lender. So how many of these things come out of Proverbs? Because it's a book of wisdom. So you see where I'm going next. Slash, because I got to keep the S's going because this is, there's, I'm the one that invented this list. I've never seen anybody use this. So I got to keep the S's going. Slash consumer debt. It's a killer. When I talk to people who counsel others financially, they tell me story after story of, without giving me the names, of people who've got four or five credit cards maxed out and they're drowning in debt. And you know what's happening. You're with maxing those cards out. Now you're paying, you know, ridiculous interest. You're financing their success. Their, these credit card, makes, credit card companies, they make billions of money, billions of dollars. How do they make billions of dollars? Off the interest from people who just can't stop spending and just get deeper and deeper and deeper in debt. 
Then the last one comes from Psalm 37, 21, where it says the righteous give generously. And we'll come back to that again. Set aside some income to be generous. So there, there's my seven-step plan from just calling some biblical wisdom. Um, I mentioned Financial Peace University. I cannot recommend this highly enough. So we're, this is coming soon to each one of our campuses. You can actually text F-P-U-E-E for our Lyria campus. Uh, Avon Lake, it's coming up soon. And Vermilion and Lorraine, it's coming soon. So this is something that a lot of people in our church have gone through. And, and it brings financial peace. It's built on biblical wisdom. And guys, it will help you. It might save your marriage. Dead serious. Because we fight about money in our marriages and we fight and we fight and things get worse and worse and the marriage falls apart. This could save your marriage. I uh, love the story of a couple in our church who came up to me one time and told me about how their life had been transformed by going through Financial Peace University. Their life had been transformed. And it wasn't because they met Jesus in the seminar. It's because they got a plan that could help them do what they could not do on their own. So just urge to do that. We've got a plan for each one of these Christ-like characteristics. Now, I gotta close and just be real clear. I don't want anybody to see today or ever us talking about this plan, this picture of Christ-likeness, and think, this is how I become a Christian. I do these things. And if I do these, if I follow these six steps, I'll become a Christian. No, 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 a thousand times no. This is for people who have already started following Jesus. This isn't the way to become a Christian. This is for you, this is the steps you take to become like Christ, sanctification, your spiritual maturity. There's a plan for becoming a Christian and it's not here. It's you surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, recognizing that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. That's the plan. There's no other plan. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Peter said that there's no other name given under heaven by which men must be, people must be saved. It's Jesus, his death on the cross, trusting him, repenting of your sins, and starting following Jesus. That's the salvation plan, not following this. Are, are, are we clear about that? I just want to make sure we understand. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became, what's he talking about? He says he left heaven, the riches of heaven, came to earth and lived a human life, died on the cross. He became poor so that you, through his poverty, it's not, this is not a reference to Jesus' bank account. It's a reference to Jesus giving up his rights, laying down his life. I mean, you can't be any more poor than losing your life. But Jesus said, 
No one took my life from me. No one takes my life. I lay it down. I became as poor as you could possibly be by sacrificing my life so you could be rich towards God, so you could have life in the kingdom. So I just want to make sure that, that we're talking about these plans and about being like Christ, that we're so clear that the plan of salvation is putting our faith in Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, come on, paid the penalty for our sin. Aren't we glad this morning? And that's the, that's the foundation for everything. That's where we start. And that's where I want to end today, is celebrating Jesus' plan of salvation that he followed to the nth degree, going to the cross for you and for me. Let's just, just pause right here. Oh, God, thank you for Jesus. Father, thank you for your plan that, that you had before the creation of the world. Jesus, thank you for following that plan. And if there's anyone here who has never put their faith in you, Lord Jesus, right now is that moment. May they trust in you for salvation. May they say, I, I'm not going to follow my plans. I want to follow Jesus. And it starts with surrender. It starts with repentance. And we thank you for the new life that's available in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift. Nothing we can earn. The gift of new life that comes when we put our faith in you. We celebrate that today as we pray in Jesus' holy name.